Um, Lord, I love you, and I thank you so much for each person that's here, the encouragement that you specifically bring to me through them. And I'm, I'm so excited about Isaiah 42, and I need you to take over this little teaching time by your grace, by your spirit, that you would speak deeply to me and that I would be your servant and be obedient to share the words that you've given me. Thank you. You're so good. And this is now in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. So Isaiah 42, everybody turn there. And uh, the, this chapter should have a superscription that might read something like God's promise concerning his servant. Does anybody have a superscription or a little title over that? What does it say, Sabrina? God's promise concerning his servant. That's amazing. Boy, you're amazing. So what does it say, Freddie? Yeah, from the Lord's help. Anybody else? Dan, is your translation something close? Yeah. So, what's that do? What uh, was 42. Isaiah 42, superscription, God's promise concerning his servant. Just servant of the Lord, I Servant of the Lord, yeah. Okay, there you go. And your translation is? Okay, okay, gotcha. So, uh, this section uh, is called a servant song so remember when you see when you see scripture like this um, then a shoot will spring forth in fact go back to Isaiah 11 um, and you'll see what I'm talking about and I know you know this you're so attuned yep so I have ruined the formatting to get all that on, on, on one slide, all right? It's not written this way. So if you look at your format in the Bible, you're going to see that this is poetic language. In other words, it's a song. Can you imagine Isaiah meant to be sung? Can you imagine hearing, hearing this, sung? Uh, like this, like, song, like uh, Isaiah 53, who has believed our report? And can you imagine a prophet singing that? and even prophets as singers. It's, it's an idea a little foreign to us, right? So, um, so I'm going to, because I'm trying to get this in front of you, visually to do a comparison, I have, I have disturbed that poetic formatting just for sheer space. So right out of the gate, we have a song. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my servant upon my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bent reed he will not break off, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice on the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Remember, coastlands is a little bit of code language in Isaiah or the whole earth. There's not a place where this will not happen. All right. Now, does, uh, if, you'll, if you'll see the context of chapter 41, the chapter, chapter 41 ends with a description of idols. And they, these idols may be beautiful. A beautiful piece of card wood, acacia wood or something, uh, olive wood maybe, and then overlaid with gold and silver and various designs. They would be considered a beautiful work of craftsmanship, right? Something eye candy, right? So... The servant of God, though, it's come, it comes out in rather humble terms. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. And he's so gentle. He goes about this thing with such gentleness. He won't even bend a reed that's already about to break or, or snuff out a candle that's almost dimly lit. He's so gentle. All right. Now, that is rather boring and plain and simple in comparison to a beautifully crafted golden, you know, mixed silver idol. By comparison, God's servant 
is rather plain and quiet and gentle. So it's really interesting. Now, did anybody pick up a cue here that he will not raise his voice? Does that remind you of something? Any echo there? I'm putting you on the spot. What about sheep and slaughter? It's interesting. He will be like a sleep, like a sleep, like a sheep led to slaughter, and he will not open his mouth. Fascinating. Now, if you've been around livestock, sheep can be they're fascinating creatures. I don't know if you have Janice in Colorado. Lisa and I had the, the opportunity to do that. They have a capacity for loyalty that is fantastic. <clears throat> they will literally follow you wherever you go. It's amazing. Once they bond, once the bond's in place. But they also will oddly not say much when they're being slaughtered. Have you ever seen shearing? You ever see how the sheep are handled during a shearing process? I mean, they're getting jerked around upside down and the legs jerked over here and that shear is going at it. And they're not even, there's no screaming, there's no fighting, there's no kicking against the, the authority of the shearer. They're taking it. They just take it. Now, uh, I grew up with horses in New England, by contrast, and uh, we would pay for a farrier to come in and work the, the hooves and reshod these horses, and they've got these massive clippers, and they, they just carve and chop and snip off hoof and, and shape a horseshoe and nail it back on, all these kind of fascinating things. What would happen when the horse had had enough of that? 1,500 pounds of horse, when they make their mind up, it doesn't matter what's behind them. And if, if you've ever seen a farrier work, if the head of the horse is that way and the rear end's this way, he will work from this angle. And that hoof, that leg will be resting on his right leg if he's working on the back right. And if that horse kicks, what happens? It just goes that way. It doesn't hurt the farrier. If the farrier grabbed that hoof this way, and pulled it up and work at it. You're looking at severe internal trauma to take a direct hit in the gut from, from a horse. So, And man, I've been bucked, I've been bit, I've been pushed against stall walls. Yeah, horses are strong. But it's an amazing thing that sheep are so quiet. And so Isaiah says, Isaiah sings that I put my spirit on him. And he won't cry out like a sheep led to slaughter. Very gentle, very gentle. And he will establish uh, justice for all the earth. And then in verse 5, notice it is no longer in that poetic format. This is what the Lord God says. This is what God the Lord says. Who created the heavens and stretched them out. Who spread out the earth and its offspring. Who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Um, in Hebrew, that's a play on words. It's word play. Who gives breath and spirit to those who walk in it. This is nephesh in Hebrew. Uh, when God made Adam out of the dirt of the ground, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living, breathing being. Nephesh. Uh, ruach, Wind. So it's the idea of breath and ruah and wind. And so it's a bit of a play on words that God is the one that brings life to people. And God gives his spirit to, to believers and literally the spirit of life to those who walk in it. I want to make a brief comment about this before we, we go deep with this. Um, John 6.63, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. That is a faith statement for us as Christians. Okay. Let me demonstrate something. Okay. And, and I'm not going to try to shame anybody in the dirt. If you didn't have your quiet time this morning, if you didn't, shame on you. Just kidding. Question. Why is it so hard to have a quiet time? Can we pull back the veil, the veil and kind of get transparent? Why is it hard for us to pick up scripture and read it? On average, the average workaday Joe, you know, Jack and Jill in church. Why? What do you think? Why? He's looking for us. 
I want honesty. It doesn't come alive for me. It doesn't come alive. What else? We're not used to being quiet, yeah, reading and listening. That's actually so true, uh, Amy. Why, why is it hard? Anybody know why it's hard for men to read? Anybody? The male brain is so different than the female brain. You give a man a tool or an ax and a stump inside dirty to chop that down or whatever. Ooh, there's something in the male brain that can do that. But most, around 90% of males don't read post high school. And what they do in high school is forced, you know, forced read. Men are not readers. Men are watchers. Boy, they're man, they're good with their eyes. They can they can watch. They get it. Men love story. Men are drawn to story. Can you imagine hot Palestinian sun? There's a whole lot of sweating going on, okay? I know we don't think that Jesus had slick armpits, but I'm telling you, he did. And there was the smells that go along with that and sandals and dirt all over his feet, right? And did everyone have really nice razors so that you could just do this beautiful shaped, no. Pretty rough looking dudes by our standards, okay? And they're all around him. And then, and there's a few guys with really fancy robes on. And he goes, behold, a man had two sons. And all the males are like, he's a good man. Men have sons. Men don't want daughters. Ew. You know, there's actually a prayer. No kidding. There's a prayer where a male prays, Dear God, thank you that you didn't make me a woman. I'm not kidding. A man wanted sons. You want to be a man, number one. And number two, you want to have sons. So behold, a man had two sons. Oh, this is a good story. And he said to the first son, Go work in my vineyard. And the first one said, Yes, sir. And didn't do it. <gasps> oh, this is a good story. We have scandal right out of the gate, you know. And he said to his second son, son, go work in my vineyard. And the son said, no. Now this is jaw-dropping. Who would say no to your father? But he repented and went and worked in the vineyard. So I pose to you men, who did the will of the father? The second all the men would have locked on that story because men like stories. By the way, how long was that parable? Ten seconds. And ladies, uh, male attention span, what? Close to a gnat, maybe. Maybe a mosquito on a good day. You get the point. Jesus knew how to tell a story, and he knew how to grab people by the ears with his stories. He knew how to do that. Men tend to be to be listeners, watchers, and don't read. It's hard for males. It's, no. it's more also action or it's got to be something doing something. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's so good. And so, again, I, wanna, I don't want to go too deep here. I'm just telling you guys struggle with it, okay? Now, is that an excuse yeah. for a guy to walk away from Scripture? No, not at all, not at all, not at all. Uh, in, in other words, to speak rather plainly, if you can get on Facebook and read posts... Oh, wait, I thought you weren't a reader. <laughs> you can log in a ton of time on Facebook, on Instagram, and I can go on and on and on. Come on, you can read words. You've got a laptop, you can read words. And so sometimes males struggle with scripture, sometimes women do too. Um, perhaps the, one of the deeper reasons why we struggle with scripture is that we oftentimes are resistant to conviction. Please don't make me feel bad. I feel bad already. <laughs> My day's hard. Please don't tell me I'm not doing enough and God's not happy with me because I'm struggling with his will. Please, my backpack is already so full of the burdens of this life and you're going to tell me that, I, that I've got to, uh, I got to do these 100 things to be right with God. Don't you know I get up? I gotta be up at four a.m. tomorrow and face the day, or I've gotta I've gotta be on duty, and I'm gonna be looking at people face to face in Little Rock who would kill me in a hot minute. Working as a police officer is so hard. I'm, does that make sense? I'm just telling you, it's hard. So back at it, Bruce. It's a faith statement, right? 
So uh, to tap into this idea, during this tornado, March 31, I'd already kind of ran through the routine. Okay, kids, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to go into the crawl space under the house. Come look at it so you're not scared of the, of the scary place. Hey, this is an adventure, you know. Phoebe was bought on, man, this is a new place to hide. This is cool. I've got a hide place, and I can hide from Isaiah. All that stuff. And so we kind of we did the drill a little bit. And then when it came down to it, I said, Becca, how long would it take for us to go? She said, Dad, I can get 45 seconds. Okay. That's when a third siren hit, and man, they obeyed. Because Grandpa said, this is the safe place. I need you to trust me. Okay. When everything inside says, don't go into small, scary places where there's spider webs, right? Uh, trust me. So... If God says, the words that I speak to you are spirit, panuma in Greek, ruach in Hebrew, are spirit and are life, zoe. Is he lying? He gives breath to the people on this planet and spirit to those who walk in it. Now, verse 6 in, in the Hebrew text is in the emphatic position, and it's written as an emphatic statement. He doesn't say, I, the Lord, have called you. It should be in your translation, I am the Lord. What does it say, Sabrina? Is that, that what you get? I am. Yeah, I am that I am. This is an emphatic statement about the nature and the character of God. I am Yehovah. There's nobody else besides me. I'm it. And I have called you in righteousness. So guess what? We're already starting the second, the second song. The second song, it starts in, in verse 6. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will anoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord. That is my name, Yehovah. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praised idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they sprout, I proclaim them to you. He's talking to Jesus. God the Father is talking to God the Son. Singing. This is a song. It's beautiful. All right, so let's look at some of these, some of these songs. Uh, I'm going to move this, Michelle. Hold on here, dear. All right, so we've, we've already looked at this one. Look at this language. Uh, this is some time ago for us. A shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, a branch. And notice that the this, this spirit language, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, spirit of wisdom, understanding, spirit of counsel, strength, spirit of knowledge, a lot of spirit language, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, all right? This is a song, a servant song. One of the lyrics the Holy Spirit gave Isaiah to sing to Jesus, okay? And tonight, 42, 1 and 4, and 42, 6 and 9, okay? More songs. Notice, again, the language, I have put my spirit upon him. That's repeated throughout this, this time. Look at this next section here. This is Isaiah 50, 4 to 9. This is absolutely one of my favorite texts in, in Isaiah the Lord has given me the tongue of disciples so that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. That's Jesus. Isaiah, uh, uh, Freddie, Hebrews 5, 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. Isaiah, uh, uh, Hebrews 5, 8. The Lord... Uh, awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Can you imagine Jesus waking up in the morning? 
his ear tuned into God. He's got the tongue of a disciple. He's got the ear of a disciple. The Lord has opened his ears. And Jesus confesses, I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from insults and spitting. For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. By the way, that statement is used uh, back at at, um, 42, where it says that God holds the hand of Jesus. Like Rebecca was holding Isaiah's hand, or Lisa holding Isaiah's hand, as we're scurrying to the safe place. The Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Though flogged and shamed and spit upon, he says, I'm not disgraced. Therefore, I have made my face like flint. Now, I've included a reference in Luke 9.51. Some of you who are, are familiar with Luke's text, there's a section of the text starting in chapter 9 called the travel narrative. <coughs> it's Jesus. It's all the stories of Jesus in North Galilee. Okay, Capernaum the seashore, all those stories and teachings and healings. And then something clicks, and it says that he set his face toward Jerusalem. And now it's all the teachings as he goes south, which actually goes uphill, to Jerusalem. It's the great travel narrative, right? So that's hinted at in Isaiah 50. Look at this one, 52. Uh, This is amazing. Behold, my servant will prosper He will be held high and lifted up and uh, greatly exalted. Just as were many, just as many were appalled at you, my people, so his appearance was marred beyond that of a man and his form beyond the sons of mankind. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. Kings will shut their mouths on account of Jesus. For what they had had not been told, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. Sounds like Philippians. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Uh, this, this to me is amazing language. How would you describe uh, the physical appearance of Jesus? Marred? Beyond that of a man? This is a servant song. This is a song to Jesus. And it's described... In a way, it appears to be not very attractive. Um, by the way, if you want to do a fascinating study on, on human behavior, you might look at how we react to good-looking people. It's really kind of a fascinating study. And, and we act differently around good-looking people. It's really interesting. Males will change behavior when a really, really good-looking woman walks into the room. Females will change behaviors when a really, really good-looking woman walks into the room they we act different competing or comparing or if you're going to get a selfie but you want to get a selfie that really famous good-looking person you know get your selfie and then put it right on that right on your apps and get it out there that you got your picture with someone that you think is good-looking it's interesting our it's called aesthetics and philosophy and how one person thinks this is a good-looking man. Another person thinks, oh, goodness, no, he's ugly. This is what a good-looking man looks you know, Beauty, nod, beholder, all that stuff. So aesthetics is really a fascinating study. Isaiah doesn't... Isaiah does the opposite of what the Israeli idolaters would do and try, try to describe their God in beautiful terms or the beautiful silver and gold. doesn't do that. His appearance was marred like that of a man and his form beyond the sons of mankind. Yeah. But because of what's inside of him, kings are going to shut their mouth. I love that. Now this is the big, big song to the Savior, the big servant song. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Oh, that was mentioned in 11. Like a root out of dry ground. And he has no stately form or majesty that we would look at him, nor appearance that we would take pleasure in him. In other words, if you're doing a photo op 
He's not the guy you would ask to be in your picture. You'd find somebody else good looking to stand next to you to get your selfie with. If you look at him, you're like, ew, that's not the, you know. And by the way, isn't it great to watch the Jesus films that have been made through the years? And it's normally a Caucasian, really good looking, you know, and, and the, the nice sandy, blondish, brownish hair. They look like the Brett girl from the <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Let's make Jesus look like an American. That's what we need to really get at it. You know, let's make it. No, he wasn't an American. You know, he had jet black hair, probably long, and had features of those of the lineage of the Hebrew people. You know, and Isaiah says, you're not going to get yourself with him. He was despised, abandoned by man, a man of great pain, and familiar with sickness, Okay. And like one of whom people hide their face. Ooh. I want to turn away from that guy. He was despised and we had no regard for him. I want to, I want to develop a couple of things there just for the sake of uh, relationship here. Um, you know, there are, there are many, many times when, like Isaiah 50, the Lord's given me the tongue of disciples so that I know how to encourage people. I can sustain a weary one, just a word. He's given me the ear of a disciple. In fact, he wakes me at morning my morning that I may listen as a disciple. And I was not disobedient and I didn't turn away from him. In fact, I gave my abusers my back and I let those people pluck at my beard. Jesus understands abuse. He gets it. And he also knows what it's like to be a man with great pain and familiar with disease. He understands the weight and the burden of human suffering epitomized in the most grotesque of terms. He was despised and we had no regard for him. Of one of all the things that are that's horrible about human suffering, what do you think is some of the worst? Like the darkest place the human can go to. What do you think? Yeah. Loneliness and despair. It's it's the dark, dark place. So there's a book, um uh, Freddie called Man's Search for Meaning by a psychiatrist. He was arrested and survived the Holocaust. Okay. Abused horribly, horribly. And, and he's trying to be a practicing physician, those in his bunker, you know. And he described the conditions, which I will not describe now, unthinkable. And he said this the one thing that the Nazi guards could not take away from him was how he chose to respond to them. They could take his body, they could break his body, they could do anything at all. But the one thing they couldn't is take away his hope and his decision on how he's going to respond to them. Like people who hid their faces, he was despised and had no regard for him. That is a level of loneliness. There was a, uh, a counselor years ago, psychologist actually, and he said this. It, one of his clients was asking him, hey, you know, what can I do to really prove that I'm, I'm really doing well? And he said this. I want you to go do something very sacrificial for another person whether it's giving an extremely large amount of money or whatever. The, in other words, don't flip somebody 20 bucks. I want you to do something that's going to cost you greatly and tell no one about it. You can't tell anybody. That psychologist is really wise. Why do you think that's significant? Do the big thing, but don't tell anybody. Why is that wise? What do you think? <clears throat> Bruce, what do you think? 
Hmm? <laughs> what do you think? keeping something a secret a good thing a secret <laughs> it's like we want to intuitively share the good thing that we did because we want people to be proud of us can you imagine the son of god the epitome of, of purity and innocence being abandoned and people having no regard for him uh, however it was our sickness our disease that he himself bore and our pains that he carried yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted struck down by God and humiliated in other words that's a hint at how the Pharisees saw the crucifixion he's sinful he deserved it which is not the case but he was pierced for our offenses he was crushed for our iniquities our wrongdoings the punishment of our well-being was laid on him and by his wounds we are healed Peter quotes that one all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the wrongdoing of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. He did not open his mouth. Can you imagine during the flogging, the scourging, the, uh, the games that they played, they spit on him, they punched him. The thorns, the robe, all the stuff they did. What he could have said to them, oh, God's going to get you for that one. You know, I mean, he could have, you can imagine what a perverted mind could do and make Jesus out to be a really angry man. But it's not what happened. He was silent the whole time. This is the next half of 53 by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the wrongdoing of my people to whom the blow was due? And his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, Joseph of Arimathea, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord desired to crush him Causing him grief, if he rendered himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong, prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge of the righteous one, my servant will justify the many. Ooh, did Paul grab on that one? He who knew no sin will become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. For he will bear their wrongdoings. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the plunder with the strong, because he poured out his life into death and was counted with wrongdoers, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the wrongdoers. Amazing. Isaiah 61, we're almost done. This, here we go. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the cloak of praise instead of a disheartened spirit so that they would be called the oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he may be glorified. All right, here we go. Luke 4. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue. Jesus was faithful to synagogue. He entered on the Sabbath and stood up to read, and the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Right out of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. 
and he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the fable year of the Lord. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all the people in the synagogue were intently directed at him. Now he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all the people were speaking well of him and admiring the gracious words which are coming from his lips. And yet they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? Is this not the little redneck kid that worked for his dad to carve up some wood and make some furniture? Is that all? What's he doing reading? By the way, when you're handed the Isaiah scroll, do you know what it's like to try to find a chapter? Any idea? Do they have chapter divisions? Verse divisions? No. Talk about reading ability, IQ, to take the massive Isaiah scrolls and roll them out to that spot. Wow. That's amazing. Luke records these words from Jesus. I think it's amazing. All right, I want to turn it over to you. And I realize that we just got the first portion of chapter 42. Uh, just a run through of the songs, the servant songs, written in a way that would be sung about Jesus. Can you imagine what your homework's going to be? That's, I'll wait before I give you that homework. What do the servant songs mean to you? And how can that transform your life? The servant songs of Isaiah. What do they mean to you? What could they mean to you, to us? And what difference could they make in our lives? So did the people of the time, these who were written the history, do they know these songs? Say that again, Amy. So, you know, people know the songs. Yes, some, some would. It depends on the local rabbis who memorize these things verbatim and repeat them as they go village to village. Do you think Paul knew all this? I do. I do too. I do too. And Listen. Kind of oh man, he's a. Away. I was sitting there thinking yeah. about that. He's a genius. Yeah, and yet. His heart. He, yeah. was, he was so indoctrinated. Yeah. Yeah. That when you read his writings, uh, his favorite, you look, his favorite source is Isaiah. Yeah. Can you imagine memorizing the first five books of the Old Testament and memorizing the Psalms and memorizing Isaiah? Can you imagine that? And memorizing in such a way that you have a command of it. Not like, well, I memorized that 20 years ago. Uh, I don't really remember it anymore. No, memorizing it and quoting it. So that you literally feed off, yeah, that's Paul. So, so what do you think? Th these songs, what difference could they make? If you want me to ask a very American question, I would say, what is the psychological benefit <laughs> or the spiritual psychological benefit of you singing one of these songs? Do you think someone who knows despair, who knows hopelessness, could benefit from one of these songs? Okay, so now we're getting it. Now we're getting it. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's so good for Eddie. <clears throat> when they, when they what? Everybody turn to First Timothy four. Timothy four. <clears throat> Paul is writing to a, a young man named Timothy, and it has been argued on many occasions that Timothy has a sin problem, specifically fear. He is a fearful, skittish kid, and Paul writes on many occasions, "Look, buddy, come on. Don't anybody look down on you because you're young and, and all these things. God didn't give us a spirit of fear." So if you read the full sweep of Paul's writings about Timothy, you get the idea. Timothy must have struggled with fear. He must have. Okay. Now, what I want you to see is a glimpse into the early church. Okay, look at 1 Timothy 4, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 9. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is with this, for this, that we labor and strive because... We have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all mankind, especially believers. So there's something about a song that can give us hope here from Isaiah. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, assure yourself an example of those who believe. And until I come, give attention to the public reading, to exhortation and teaching. That's really fascinating. Any other translation on public reading at 1 Tim 4.13? Because until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Public reading of Scripture, yeah. Janice, what is your, what do you have? Same, okay, yeah. Anybody else, something different? Okay, yeah. So here's something that's interesting. You know, Bruce, you and I talk about these things just a little bit. We have in our brains, because we're modern Western persons, the idea that Scripture is to be read. But in the New Testament world, Scripture is to be heard. Heard. Yeah. How many people at a little, church, a little fledgling church in, in Ephesus or one of the fledgling churches in Rome, had how many had personal Bibles, completely organized Old Testament, New Testament, with chapter divisions, verse divisions, in a beautiful, well, uh, attractive, leather-bound version? How many had that? How many were actually literate too? Almost none. Almost none, Janice. Especially in the rural areas. You know, as I recall, uh, Bruce Molina, John Pilk, all these people. Maybe in the country, maybe 5 to 7% could read. Very, very few could read. And in the urban areas, it might bump up to 10, 15%. It is, it is not a culture where if you want to get scripture, you, get, you go to the local shop, buy your copy of the Isaiah scroll, and you read it. No, no. You go to the synagogue to listen to somebody read it. That's the only way you're going to get it. And when you do, you memorize it so you can repeat it as you walk back home. And you can repeat to your children, Papa, what did you learn in synagogue today? And Papa quotes what he can, as best he can, what the rabbi taught. 
So Paul makes it very clear, do not neglect the public reading of Scripture. Can you imagine a church being all story, all jokes, all fun, all cool stuff, and not reading Scripture? Can you imagine? Paul would roll over in his grave to think that that's how you disciple people outside of Scripture. You don't do it. Okay. So here's your homework assignment. Ready? I want you to pick one of the servant songs. Okay? Let's go back. All right, you've got Isaiah 11. And there's actually a few more uh, just but for time. So Isaiah 11, you've got 42, a couple of big chunks. You've got 50, you've got 52, you've got the big one, it, uh, the whole chapter, Isaiah 53, and then you've got 61. These are big servant songs. What I want to challenge you to do, and it's, it's, it's going to require a whole lot of uh, faith to dare to do this, but to take one of the songs and pray it, sing it to the Lord privately. Get alone in your prayer closet and pick one. Isaiah 61, 1 to 3. And try to sing it. Make up a song, make up a melody. How hard is that? Make up a melody. You know, does it have to be a beautiful melody? No, no. You could just sing, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord anointed me. Just something simple. Make it up. Sing it. And if you do that, what's going to happen to your brain? You're seeing it, Janice. You're singing it. You're hearing it. It's going to go more deeply in your soul. So your homework is to sing one of the songs Isaiah gave an entire nation to draw them to the Savior. That's your homework. Okay. That's interesting. The Episcopal Church sings a song. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. We miss miss the songs. Um, It's interesting. There was a, a psychologist out of Columbia... And she became kind of famous for her, the way she treats her clients, and that she requires them to journal out their trauma stories. And this fact-feeling kind of analysis where, when I was seven, this happened, and write out all the facts. I mean the ugly stuff. Then you write out the feelings of that, all that ugly stuff, and then you work through rational, irrational response to the trauma, et cetera. And that in the journaling exercises, her clients tended on average to experience more healing from trauma than the ones who refused to do the journaling. Guess what? She thinks she's so smart because she figured that out. You know what we have in the Bible that does that very thing, James? The Psalms. Listen, the Psalms. God, where are you? Can you hear me? You're busy, aren't you? I bet your arm is so short you can't even reach down to where I am. <gasps> oh, this is so not fair, God. And then David goes, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here it comes. Lord, here's what's really going on. I got the guilties so bad. My sins have washed over my head. I'm drowning in my own bad decisions. Everybody hates me. My best friends say I have bad breath. This is awful, Lord. This is terrible. And then he goes, Hey, wait. My life is like a handbreadth. It's, it's gone. <gasps> I better spend every breath that I have left praising you. God, I thank you that you love me, even though all this, and you've forgiven me, and you made me clean. So I stand and I lift my hands, and I will praise you, and I'm so thankful for you. Does that sound like a good therapy session? You bet it is. God's been doing healing. By the way, in Greek, therapy means healing. He's been doing this for centuries, since the beginning when Adam and Eve were there. And he had his first accountability session. All right, what happened? (laughs) He's been there the whole time. So, homework. Get alone, get quiet, and sing a song. And watch what happens in your heart. All right, so can we read this together in unison? Now, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread. 
Father, Father, thank you so much for your love and grace. We take the bread and cup to say thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Janice, I'm put you on the spot <laughs> because of your amazing pitch. Pitch. <laughs> would you would you get us started on the doxology? Father, do thank you. Thank you for how you've encouraged me tonight on Isaiah. I pray the same for everyone that's here. Lord, teach us to not, not, not to forget you, not to neglect your word, please. And to realize these are love songs that we need to pour ourselves over. In Jesus' name, amen.